This is Medals and More, the podcast getting you behind the scenes of Olympic and Paralympic sport. I'm Catherine Granger, and this is episode two of season two, where we'll be talking about the impact sport can have on community and the impact community can have on sport. What do we mean by community? Well, it probably means something slightly different to everyone. It's a personal thing that could mean your local environment and the people nearby. It might mean any group you're part of with common interests or actions. It might be people you work with. To get into specifics for a second, the word itself is derived from the Latin communitas, meaning fellowship, which in turn is derived from communis or common. The prefix com signifies with or together. The second part, munis, is derived from the word meaning to fortify, strengthen or defend. So in simple terms, community is strength in numbers. Athletes often talk about their community being the fellow athletes around them, their coaches and the team that supports them. They are high performance community. That community will help them to achieve at the highest levels on the world stage. But what about their efforts closer to home? Being a top sports person isn't just about performing once every four years. It's about inspiring the next generation, being a role model, helping your community, building a community, empowering a community. And it's not just individuals who can have that impact on communities. It's events too. So I'm hoping to speak to some people today who can tell us more. My mum can't help but help everybody, you know, so I think when you... (laughs) see examples of that it rubs off on you the community around us as a family allowed our visual impairment to never hold us back i think community to me uh, i'd sum it up in three words from a professional perspective it's about people it's about place and it's about pride let's speak to our first two guests Laura Fahey is a visually impaired cyclist who won gold in the individual pursuit at the Paralympic Games in Rio 2016. Chev Clark is a boxer who won bronze for England at the Commonwealth Games in the Gold Coast in 2018 and is now aiming for the Tokyo Olympics in 2021. Community to me means, it means a lot because there's a saying that says uh, it takes a community to raise a child and I grew up experiencing that so for me, it, it really means everything, really. Um, and to be able to affect your community, again, it means everything to me because growing up, whether it be in sport or just life, uh, people, whether it be family, friends or just people from around my community that I didn't know very well, have always been positive towards me. So I've got a good experience in that and I'd like to help to give young kids coming up or just generally anybody um that same experience yeah it's very similar really um I'd say a lot is the support so having knowing that there's people around you that have got your back and are there to help you especially a kind of so growing up for me as a visually impaired child surrounded by um so my, all my family were visually impaired but then the the kind of people around us were all fully sighted so people would kind of rally around to to support us and to help us when when there were kind of problems that we came across as as a visually impaired family whether that was just even you know like neighbors stepping in to give us a lift when we needed to get to a competition or you know school getting to school 
the community around us as a family allowed our, our visual impairment to never hold us back and to be very successful. So community has all those brilliant people around us. And I think what's lovely is both of you commenting, not just, you know, what you can do to help others, but what people have done to help you. And it's such a it's a mutual thing both ways, isn't it? So, Chev, I know you're focusing, well, you're both focusing on Tokyo next year, but even before we knew we had this delay, and obviously this delay has given athletes some time to do other things they might not have done otherwise this year. Um, Chef, you were already, I spoke to you before about the amazing things you have done. Um, so it's not just taken a delay in the games to, to kind of get you involved in working with your communities. Why, why do you think it is so important for you as an athlete who's clearly very focused on your athletic career and the success you want to achieve but why is it important that you also find time to do other things for your community again it's growing up that and i had a, a grandma that was a um a midwife in our community and she used to look after everybody else and you know that's come down the the family tree to my mom who can't help but help everybody you know so i think when you see examples of that it rubs off on you and as I said myself especially when I moved from Jamaica to, to England just the amount of people that helped me in sport and outside of sport and my whole community so for me it's just a no-brainer to to help other people you know and if you help other people there's nothing better than when you help somebody to achieve something and you see them being successful like ah, oh, that that is hand on my heart that's one of the most pleasurable things it's incredible how powerful um, that feeling of being able to help someone else, um, especially from from my perspective, where I I am quite reliant at times on other people helping me. So for me to be able to give back to them and and to, it's a, like to not to thank them, but you know in a way it is thanking them um, by being able to do something for them as well. It it makes your self worth so much stronger supporting your community is great for that is there any sense of you know doing those other things in the community could be a distraction to you could add more responsibility to you could give you you know extra work in the time you have is there anything that it's hard to try and balance that while you're still doing your training and your competition or is it is it something you just you actually find helps you or you know enhances your time for me i I find a lot that that it it is hard you know it is a big balance but i think the kind of the distraction is sometimes a really positive distraction like for me I can't think about cycling all day every day um it's not good for my mental health um so to have something else that makes you feel good and makes you feel positive is 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 actually a real benefit to your sporting performance at the same time yeah I I agree for me personally, it won't be a distraction because you still focus on doing your training in the time of training. And when you've got free time outside, you, you try and help out as much as you can. And whether it will be doing an event or just, you know, going to speak to the kids at a youth club, whatever you can do, it just helps out. You know? Chef, I know you did some stuff with uh, your original boxing club. And also, we've seen you do other things, helping some elderly people with dementia. Can you tell us a little bit about both those projects you did? Starting off with my boxing club, me and my close friends, right now they're my closest friends. Um, funny enough, we didn't start off like that, but 
through the boxing club, we became really close. The boxing club, after I'd been there 10 years, in 2017, we kind of came together and brainstormed and said, um, lift the boxing club for the next generation because some of the guys, the boxing club, we, we went abroad and did tournaments abroad, and that was the first time of them travelling, being on a plane. So some of their first experiences came from the boxing club. So we thought, why not help somebody else to have their first experience like that? So that's where that came from. And it worked out brilliantly. The community, again, the community, we went around um, fundraising and the community poured out to us and we was able to achieve the, the standard that we wanted for the boxing club. That went really well. In terms of the dementia hospice, it was my friend who works, his mom actually works um, at that establishment and she'd asked me to come and I said, yeah, because I just thought my grandmother had dementia and I was just like, if I can do anything to, to, to put a smile on their faces, that's the ultimate. And um, turns out I went there and they all really had a great time. And I met this couple that really rubbed off on me. And they'd been together since they were 16. And they were together 80 years. They, they'd been together 80 years and they were there. And believe it or not, she was amazing. <laughs> she was amazing. She was rolling, punching, and everybody was just in admiration. And so was I. And... Um, yeah, anything like that, man. It's just really good to be able to to give back and and just to put a smile on their faces, you know. Because at the end of the day, those people have done so much for us. And you won an award for that work, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I think the the, the council, Gresham uh, Borough Council, yeah, they gave me an award for that. So yeah, I'm grateful for that. Oh, I think we're all grateful. It's incredible. I saw some of the footage, and um, yeah, teaching boxing to 90 year olds something I didn't think. I'd be seeing when it's absolutely brilliant. It was really, really fabulous. We'll be catching up with those two again later on in the podcast. Now, if all goes according to plan, 2021 is set to be a bumper year for sport. One of the events to look out for is the Rugby League World Cup coming to these shores in October and November. John Dutton is the man in charge of staging the event, which has a clear ambition to make a difference both on and off the field of play. For the first time ever, for Rugby League, the men's, women's and wheelchair games will come together and the competition will be staged alongside a number of cultural and community events designed to have a significant and measurable impact. We are full of hope, um, positivity and optimism. Um, we keep reminding ourselves that the world has turned upside down in such a short space of time so we still have 12 months with which for the world to look in a better place but what we've seen in the very early days of uh, our ticket campaign is people want something to look forward to and that bringing people together creating memories host special live sport events uh, are so at the moment um, we uh, will have to manage our way through the pandemic and some uncertainty but yeah we're, we're very optimistic and positive. I'm loving the optimism and positivity. More of that, please. Um, and would you say, considering everything else all of us are dealing with in our personal lives and professional lives and the news every day, do you think it's it almost feels even more important that we have something to look forward to and, and get those moments of coming back together? We definitely get a sense of that. We launched our ticket pre-sale uh, with exactly one year to go to the men's tournament starting on the 23rd of October. And, and we were absolutely blown away by the level of interest. Uh, more recently, we've launched our ballot campaign in pursuit of a new audience, in pursuit of people that wouldn't normally come to watch a game of rugby league. And again, we've massively exceeded our expectations. So I think all of that points to um, people trying to make a plan, trying to have something fixed 
to look forward to. Uh, and it just, it, live events, live sport, it's just so special. It's what we so miss at the moment. And you've, I mean, you've had a, a brilliant career with those major sporting events. What role can and do communities play in those major sporting events? And also the reverse, what role do the major sporting events have in communities? I think from my time with this project, Catherine, I have had the privilege of being involved since the start. So five years already into the planning. And this was always the Rugby League World Cup, an event that was more than five weeks of competition. It was everything that you just explained and a little bit more using the dynamism, the energy, the IP of a major sporting event to make a positive impact on people's lives. We were both together, it seems like a very long time ago, for our official draw at Buckingham Palace in January with Prince Harry. And, and Prince Harry said uh, sport has the uh, ability to not only change people's lives, but save people's lives. And at the time, perhaps that um, it didn't seem as real as it does now. Um, and certainly through some of the initiatives that we can um, explore, our mental fitness programme in particular, we are seeing the resonance of that in local communities like never before. So I think that our event will play a small part um, and events going forward, perhaps will people look through a different lens. It's not just about the wonderful sport that will happen on the field of play. The sports events have an opportunity to do much, much more than that. Do you also feel there should be a responsibility on a sporting event to to want to engage to that level as well? Absolutely. I think historically um, sports events have been measured mainly through economic impact and, and that's understandable with the significant amount of public funding that has been invested and I think now is an opportunity to measure pure social impact, to measure that positive impact, that tangible um, ability for a sports event, whether it's to inspire, uh, whether it's to engage, whether it's to increase the level of participation for people to lead a healthy life and so much more. Um, we're particularly interested in um, in social mobility um, and we know that our event will only play a very small part in that, but it just shows the power that a major sporting event has and perhaps in the past we've taken something for granted that the pandemic will maybe refocus our attention and perhaps we've been looking um, at times through the, the wrong lens and we've recently Catherine changed we always called it our legacy program our inspirational legacy program and we've changed that we've now called it our social impact program because legacy perhaps is a word that is misunderstood legacy for us is what we will leave behind Social impact is what we are creating right here, right now, regardless of the pandemic and regardless of being 12 months away. And we're really passionate about making a difference, but we're also really passionate about hopefully passing our knowledge on to other people who have an opportunity to do this again and more in the future. And talking around that social impact programme, I mean, can you talk about what is it and how it came about, why it was so important that it was part and parcel of, of hosting that incredible event you'll host next year? what it looks like, what will it feel like for people? Yeah, the, we, we had the opportunity to run a Rugby League World Cup in 2013 and we did and it was incredibly successful. I worked with um, your current uh, colleague and board member Sally Bolton and what a wonderful um, experience that was for everyone. But we ran a major global sporting event on a shoestring budget with a small team and it was just about the event, nothing else. And when we got the opportunity to bid for this way back in 2015, we, we made a case to the government to say it has to be more than that. For the level of investment, it has to be more than that. And that's when we designed our legacy programme, which has three uh, themes. One is volunteering, but volunteering very much with the, looking through the lens of our communities that we will serve. 
So we've partnered up with a social care provider um, who are providing some opportunities for people with a learning disability to come and volunteer on our um, tournaments and they haven't had that opportunity previously. Uh, our second strand is our facilities funding. So we have um, significant amount of funding from UK government that we are um, very pleased uh, about and we're in a privileged position to provide small grants to set up um, teams or kit equipment really easily accessible, but more larger transformational projects. So when people say in five years time, what was your legacy? We'll actually have a true manifestation of that. It will be bricks and mortar. It will be new pitches. Um, it will be something that we can point to. And then the bit that I uh, am most excited by, Catherine, is the bit in the middle we just call engagement. And there is some rugby league in that and participation, but mainly it isn't. It's about dance and heritage and culture. Of course, we run an international development programme that uh, I know you have a really interest in. We've done some wonderful work with UK Sport to go out beyond the UK and, and look to developing rugby league nations. And our, I would say our jewel in the crowd is the mental fitness programme, that rugby league has played a huge part in mental fitness, born out of adversity. And we wanted to play our part um, in that. So we've got resilience training for 8,000 young people in our host, host towns and cities uh, that will experience that resilience and adversity training, which, to repeat myself from earlier before, has never been more needed than at this point in time. Are those things going to be running during the time of competition itself? Or are they running afterwards? I absolutely understand what you're saying about you know, the legacy is always the bit you leave behind and what sort of continues on. But is there a planning for what will continue afterwards or is it all around those weeks when you're having the competition? A lot of it is actually being delivered now. We're, we're, third, we're into the third year of delivery of the social impact programme and, and that's why we've been blessed with time, we've been blessed with some um, investments um, but we've got to then measure ourselves. This is about making a difference, it's not about feeling good about ourselves, it's making a tangible difference. So a lot of the activity will run before the tournament, some activity will run during it, so our um, culture programme certainly will really bring the tournament to life in local communities, some of our public health um, programmes, volunteering, uh, our loneliness programme, um, etc. And, and then the after is working hand in hand with the national governing body, the Rugby Football League, to make sure that when the fireworks go off and the trophies are lifted and our job essentially is done, that there is a transition and there's an ability for some of those programmes to carry on thereafter. And Rugby League is a physical game. Not everyone wants to play Rugby League, whether it's in a wheelchair or uh, the running game. So what we've tried to do is break down some of the barriers and make sure that people want to engage with our event, find the level in whatever way that might might be. And that might be volunteering uh, or it might be through our heritage or culture programme. It might be playing the game, but at least now we've got a breadth of opportunities for people to engage. Volunteers have always, 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 always been the lifeblood of sport in this country yeah. and probably in every country, to be honest. You know, we don't get anywhere until you've got the volunteers willing to whether it's volunteer coaches or parents driving people to all the events and things. But I think, you know, around the time of 2012, there was an incredible, the, the story of the games makers became such an, an kind of inspiration part of that summer. Um, and then it went on to Glasgow 2014 and the Commonwealth Games. And then I, you know, I was up in Liverpool at the Netball World Cup and the, all the volunteers there. And there's an incredible, I guess, community of volunteers that seem to be, you know, in every city, in every location that these events happen. And often they travel between them and become sort of almost lifelong volunteers. Are you, are you, if you're volunteering for the Rugby World Cup, are you engaging with people who have done it before? Are they a whole brand new family of volunteers you found? How's that working? 
I think the perfect balance for us, and you're absolutely right about volunteers being the lifeblood um, of community sport in particular, um, the right balance is to get both. So if I reflect back on the tournament in 2013, we had not a huge amount of volunteers, about 750. And they came and they, they were fantastic and they were welcomed our athletes, welcomed our spectators, they were brilliant. And we did some um, research afterwards and we found largely that those were the uh, transient volunteers. They came, they had the experience and then they were lost to the sport. So only about 10% of that number stayed with the sport. And we also did some um, research in local community clubs and asked people, did you volunteer? And, and largely people said, no, that was for someone else. That wasn't for me. We've got to change that. So, so we want our volunteers largely to come from the local communities that they represent. And there's a real big sense of civic pride, of this passion in the place uh, for people. And we shouldn't forget that our uh, three tournaments were running 85% is in the north of England and, uh, and an area that's been significantly impacted by the pandemic. So when we go to Hull or to York or to Leeds or to Newcastle or to Manchester, predominantly we want local people to be proud of that place and to be our volunteers and also then have a um, signpost back to the sport should they not already be volunteering in sport or to actually reward the people who get the teams out on the field week in week out wash the kits you know do all the administration why shouldn't this be a wonderful reward for all of that community this is medals and more the podcast getting you behind the scenes of olympic and paralympic sport I'm Catherine Granger, and the theme this month is community. I'm speaking to John Dutton, CEO of Rugby League World Cup 2021. Part of our challenge, um, Catherine, is we want to measure qualitative things, which by their very nature are quite hard to measure. So when we at the start said we'd like to measure memories, we'd like to measure people's experiences. And we've got lots of great minds in a room and they said, gosh, this is going to be really hard, isn't it? Yep, it's going to be really hard. But I think we've found a way through by creating a framework that will be a mixture of quantitative and qualitative um, measures. And we're working with colleagues at UK Sport, colleagues at Sport England um, to perhaps do something that has never been done before. Will it be perfect and create the um, create the platform for other people to follow? I'm not quite sure, but we'll certainly learn an awful lot. But we have to measure, measure success. It's great us feeling good and doing all of this work, but it's got to make a difference. That That's absolutely the objective of why we're doing it. So hopefully um, in 12, 15 months' time, we'll have something that people can have a look at and hopefully it will help inform um, other event goers in the future, not only creating social impact, but actually measuring whether it's been a success. What would you in 12 or 15 years time be sitting there thinking, what would you need to hear from either those reports or from people to say, yes, it worked? I think really simply, I don't, and I, hopefully we don't have to wait that long. That, that, and we've already heard it in other events. An event has inspired, an event has genuinely made a positive impact on people's lives. And for us, our commitment to the north of England, we want that to be um, transformational in local communities. I, I remember in our bid process where we went to see chief execs and leaders of local authorities um, and one chief, um, chief executive said, but we don't think we're going to support this event and it's an area synonymous with rugby league. And it was only after taking them through our aspirations for our social impact programme where they'd come 360 degrees and said, we're absolutely in because it's a recognition of this is beyond a sporting tournament. And I think if we can have a growth mindset of event leaders, the events can actually do much, much more than the brilliance on 
the field of play, then in five years' time, ten years' time, that will be succession. So, so, so social impact, I think, can become a major part of our lives and can genuinely make a difference because sport is just such a wonderful product. Why do you think it is sport has an ability? And I think it does. And that's why I think that it has a responsibility too to create as much positive impact as it can. Why why it, does it have that reach? I think I think it's multifaceted. I think we see now at the moment people not having the ability to go and watch their team. And whether it's through uh, creating those m- magical moments, those memories with family and friends, or whether it's structure, sport offers different things to different people, but is deep-rooted, particularly in our local communities. And we look, if we look at the birth of many sports, football, association football, rugby league, etc. It was born from local communities, and, and I think that's carried it through, and certainly it has a special place in rugby league and, and perhaps it just takes something like a global crisis a pandemic for us all to realize how massively important sport really is and i agree and i think i think it's very timely that we realize the impact it can have and, and the value it has to our lives have you always felt sport and and big sporting events can and should have that positive impact on communities wider than just the event itself or is that something you think you have over time understood I think I've seen it um, firsthand, Catherine, but perhaps more recently been involved in this project, actually seeing the power that it can do in local communities on different levels. And, you know, if you take rugby league, people might not be rugby league fans, they might not even know what rugby league is. If we can break down all of those barriers, it's about bringing people together. Um, when you look at something like loneliness, sharing memories of sporting moments that have gone before, that that has a huge impact on people. So, I, I think certainly more recently and doing this project, I've seen firsthand the power it can have. Uh, I've been why I'm so passionate about it is I've seen it. Um, you know, I've seen it. I've seen maybe opportunities missed, and I want to make sure that we don't miss any opportunities going forward. Feels the right time to be discussing community, but it probably means different things to different people. So both professionally, as we've talked about through sport, but also personally for you. When I say community, what does that mean to you? I think community to me, uh, I'd sum it up in three words from a professional perspective. It's about people, it's about place, and it's about pride. And I think if you can bring those three things together, you have a community, you have a movement. Um, Personally, I've seen, um, certainly over lockdown, um, just how powerful community is in looking after each other, looking out for each other, looking after each other. And, And that... You know, that's the, that's, we are human beings. We are social animals. We, you know, want to look out for each other. And I think local community has, um, it's the glue that brings it all together. The community that can feel very local and, and, yeah. and actually the international community is, is, you know, equally powerful. In partnership with, um, with UK Sport, the International Development Programme and, and UK Sport do this so, so well on major events. And we've had the opportunity already pre the pandemic to go out to Nigeria um, and be part of uh, something really special that's happening in West Africa. I think Nigeria will play in a future Rugby League World Cup. Um, we have already visited Brazil, but we'd love to go back as part of our um, relationship in raising funds there. We've been to Papua New Guinea, um, which is quite special. Papua New Guinea, um, the one and only sport in Papua New Guinea is Rugby League. Um, so that's a pretty um, special place. Um, and we've been to Jamaica, and Jamaica's really interesting. And again, they, they make their debuts um, in the tournament. Uh, there's a lot of 
Um, a lot of parallels been drawn with what happened in the bobsleigh with, with Jamaica and we visited the sports minister there and, and, and they just have a really special part to play and we've, we've been some European nations as well but that, that, that's at the extended part of community um, absolutely international community and soft, soft power and diplomacy um, can play a huge part in that The international development I've been aware of it since being UK sport that you know as every part of bidding for a huge major event there's yep. a and I think a really powerful very very positive element to the bidding now which includes helping to develop the sport in another country another part of the world that you know will benefit from that development as well so so what part of it has come into the rugby world cup for 2021 yeah we, we've been really ambitious Catherine we, we wanted to go to 16 um, nations and colleagues at UK sports said that was slightly um, overly ambitious and I think the pandemic has actually stopped us in our tracks but we started off in in the Netherlands and it, that's a really good example where it was around soft power it's around diplomacy it's around developing rugby league nations but one of the outcomes from that is the Netherlands are going to set up a wheelchair rugby league team and, and, and that in itself that's a good enough reason um, to go but um, hopefully we can carry on the programme and it's a big deal for the International Federation um, that there is um, clearly um, a uh, ability, a CPD uh, ability and there's also an ability to take coaches out and actually be that introduction to the game so uh, the work that UK Sport have done across many different sports on international development I think is um, world leading and uh, we've really enjoyed being a part we want to pick it back up again as soon as we come. Well, John, thank you for being part of that glue because you, you really are, and it's wonderful because you, you, know, you live and breathe it and, and you really mean it when you talk about it and implement it. So I think we've got an amazing, amazing World Cup happening next year. But like you said, the impact will be happening long before and long after. And I think that's, that will be a sign of amazing success. Any listeners, I'm assuming, still tickets available? Still tickets available. We, we are partway through our ballot uh, campaign that closes very shortly. Um, we celebrate one year to go to the wheelchair tournament starting at the Copper Box very shortly. Um, we'd love people to come along and be inquisitive if you've never seen Rugby League before. This is a great opportunity to, to do so. I'd say the same. Thank you very much and good luck. Thank you, Catherine. Fantastic to hear from John Dutton, the CEO of the 2021 Rugby League World Cup. And now let's round off the podcast by hearing once again from two of our Tokyo hopefuls for 2021, paracyclist Laura Fahey and boxer Chef Clark. It's a team environment and I think that's vital because I'll give an example. For instance, when you're at home and you're a national boxer and you might say, I'm going to get up at seven in the morning and I'm going to go for my run. But the day before you might have had a really tough day. So, so it gives you that motivation to get up and go. When you go to the competition, even though you're competing in a single person event, the whole team's there and everybody's behind you. And when you go back to the hotel after you've uh, competed, there's just so much team celebration almost, you know, after each fight. So it, it, it's fantastic. It's, it's really special. You experience it in different ways because when you're new coming into a sport, you're, you know, I guess you'd learn, I certainly did, you learn from people around you. And then as you progress through the sport, you take on sort of different role within that world or within that community of your own sport. Do you, do you see that? I mean, do you use a lot of the people around you who've been there longer or people new coming in that you can help and support? Do you kind of use that as that same sense of you're all learning and supporting each other? Uh, most definitely. I mean, when I first um, went onto the squad, um, it was just after uh, Rio and um, you had Josh Boatsy who was still on the team and he kind of 
schooled me in what to do and and how to get the best out of myself and where to take a little break here and where to excel here because you know you have various phases of training and um competition so i think yeah it it's great to have somebody to relate to when you come on the team on the team somebody to take you under the, their wing and show you how it operates and also once you've reached that transition of becoming one of the senior members of the the team then when the youngers are coming on for example when you go away they don't know for example that you need a sim card because you can't use your phone <laughs> abroad and just little little things you know just to make them comfortable because most of these guys have never travel outside of their town much less outside of the country so you just have to make it as comfortable for your teammates and as whole as a team as possible and I think we've got a great balance of that. And Laura what would you see the benefits whether it's that community feel within your own sport that that like Sherb was saying that learning from that teaching that encouraging that kind of support or you know the wider Paralympic family what is it that makes that so important so special? I think it's that bond, isn't it? You've all got a common goal. That's when you become an effective team is when you're all in it together and you all want the same thing. It's, it's very powerful when you know you've got a, a lot of people surrounding you who are all supporting you. And it's also that accountability. Like if you're, you know, if you've got a whole community of, of people that are trying their hardest and working their hardest to, to get you to the, to the top then you know you 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 can't let them down and it holds like like the same when you know if you when you're training together and if you've had a really big training day the day before and you you can't be bothered getting up you know you don't feel like you're too tired you don't want to train but that accountability of everyone else around you is what makes you get up and train anyway and keeps you going and has your back when we're talking about the wider community, when you've you've both done amazing works at reaching wider communities and members of the community, is there a personal pride in feeling that sport can reach wider than just, say, sports fans or people who are already engaged in sport? Is there, you know, do you both take something from the fact that sport can do more than just be great entertainment or be kind of inspirational performance, that it actually can pe- touch people's lives in a bigger way? Especially para um like. I find a lot of, you know, athlete stories, how they ended up being a para athlete and then how they've overcome and they found sport and it's given them that kind of self worth again. So I would say in, in life in general, the world around me is not designed for a visually impaired person. So I'm always at a disadvantage and that is not something, you know, I don't complain about. It's something I quite like. I thrive off that having to always work hard but sport is that where you're suddenly on a level playing field like I compete against other people who are visually impaired so I'm I'm equal to them and it's one of the only kind of places in in society at the moment where I feel equal to the everyone else who I'm involved with sport it can like you look back to the London Paralympics and how powerful that was for the disabled community as a whole, not necessarily just sport, but it raised the awareness of what disabled people are capable of doing. Um, and that doesn't necessarily, you know, that's not sport. We, we can just live our lives. We can live a normal life. What, you know, whatever people do class as normal, it's 
normals are a very wide ranging thing, but it does it it just brought disability into the the kind of media attention. Sport can touch the wider audience, not just um, people interested in sport. I take Will Bailey um, on the, the Paralympic uh, uh, table tennis um, guy, amazing, amazing guy, just just amazing, you know. And um, for example, the other day they trained next to us, right? And um, my friend, he thinks he's really good at table tennis, right? And I was walking by and I took a video <laughs> of Will and the guys practicing and I sent it to him and he was just blown away. And I'm like, yeah, that my, that's my friend right there. He's on a Paralympian. And he was just, oh, he was just blown away, you know? And again, yeah, Muhammad Ali, you know, look how many people he's touched around the world. So yeah, sport, um, can, can influence the world. You have Marcus Rashford, Rashford at the moment what he's doing for the kids, getting the kids fed throughout the holidays, you know. So I, I do think sport is one of the biggest influences of people around the world. And um, yourself, um, Catherine, Laura, you know, I'm sure you've touched people outside of sport just for us to, to keep on doing that and the future athletes to keep on doing that and hopefully we can make a better world one by one. What would you both say if there's athletes listening for example who kind of you know might be feeling but I'm not a Marcus Rashford I'm not a Muhammad Ali you know I don't know if I do have impact I don't know if I do have influence I don't know if I can do anything that would necessarily help or I mean, it doesn't need to be an athlete listening it could be anyone listening and thinking I'm not sure what I could do if I could do anything what would you say I'd say two things first of all Marcus Rashford wasn't Marcus Rashford 10 years ago that is from effort all it takes is effort and consistent effort. You might not see it, but I, be, I, I honestly believe the hack to life is you consistently do something you believe in and you might not achieve it at the time you expect to achieve it. But more times than not, if you consistently work towards that goal in whatever you do, sooner or later you will, achieve, you will reach there. It's okay to kind of get things fail at the first attempt. That's one thing I always say to people. Like, if, if you have a goal or, or you set yourself something you would like to achieve if you don't achieve it the first time that doesn't necessarily reflect bad on you at least you try you know when you when you fail and when you get things wrong that's when you learn that's the biggest lessons and that's what drives you on to become more successful in, in the end and i i've definitely failed many times and interestingly <laughs> speaking, to, speaking to others often it's you know people want to hear about that and how you get over that and come back from that and i think that's why you know, athletes like yourselves, how you how you live your lives is is even that is, you know, really has a positive effect on other people and inspirational in its own way. So, again, I want to thank you both for being the people you are, being the athletes you are and also taking time to speak to us today. Thank you very much. No, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm Catherine Granger. This is Medals and More. Download and subscribe. You won't miss a moment.